Well, welcome to the Story of Hope podcast, where we are sharing the story of how Bible translation brings hope to the people groups of the world. My name is Esther Melody, and I am the front person of the band Eversmith. We've been in partnership with Wycliffe Bible Translators New Zealand for a long time now, mostly bringing awareness to the cause of Bible translation. And I am here with a co-host... Hi, I'm Alex Winslade. I work in the offices here at Wycliffe New Zealand. Um, and today we're excited to be joined by our guest, uh, Wycliffe New Zealand member, Robert Hunt. Would you be able to introduce yourself a little bit, Robert? Yeah. Hi, I'm uh, Robert, married to Margaret. Uh, we've got six kids, five of them married already and mm. heading for 10 grandchildren. Wow. Um, we live in the little town of Martin, but we spent about 21 years of our lives in the Philippines. Hmm. I don't know if you know this, Robert, but I spent 17 years of my life in the Philippines. <laughs> no, I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. You're quite a surprise to me. I'm looking forward <laughs> to find more. Yeah. Well, it's awesome to have you, Robert. Uh, we always begin our podcast with a couple of icebreaker questions. And so my first question for you is, if you could travel anywhere right now, where would you go? Mm. Honestly, I'm happy to be home right now. Um, after COVID, uh, we were privileged to be able to go and see one of our sons and his family over on Guernsey Island, one of the Channel Islands in the, or connected to the UK. Mm -hmm. And then uh, that was August and September, we were able to go and visit another son and his family um, there with MAF. Mission Aviation Fellowship in Papua New Guinea. So um, oh, we've had two months away visiting kids and grandkids. So, yeah, it's really good to be home right now. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. <laughs> Always good to appreciate home, hey? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so cool. Well, my second question for you is, uh, is there an aspect of life in the Philippines that you wish was in New Zealand? Oh, well, so much. So we still gravitate to Filipinos that we meet in church and other places and, and occasionally we get invited to their meetings and love their food, of course. Mm -hmm. but, but one of the things I think about a lot is um, Margaret and I do reasonable amount of walking. And here in Martin and probably in most of New Zealand, we have um, beautiful footpaths and you can walk down them and you're often the only person walking on the footpath. Mm -hmm. Over where we lived in the Philippines, there wasn't any footpaths. You had to walk on the road and there was just hundreds and hundreds of people on the road. You could never walk down the road without seeing another person. So mm. Filipinos live a lot more outside their homes and we we tend to live inside your, inside our homes. And so you can walk down the street here and not even see anybody. It's quite different. <laughs> That's yeah, really that was something that shocked me when I came back because I'm when I first moved back I lived with my grandparents in Masterton and probably it hits like five o'clock and everyone just goes into their home and the town's quiet and that just felt so eerie to me because I was used to hearing just hustle bustle all yeah. the time outside <laughs> yeah it's funny because uh, I would say in the U.S. which is where I am right now by the way um Robert um they have the same factor of people living so much inside their homes. However, there aren't very many footpaths. 
at all. Um, so all of the neighborhoods, like my neighborhood that I'm in right now, there are no footpaths in the neighborhood. Um, and oh. it was so strange for me because I grew up with, you know, footpaths everywhere. And so <laughs> yeah. it was just a random difference. But yeah, different yeah. ways of different things. Mm. Yeah, so I guess we'll jump into our main questions for you, Robert. The first one I have is, how did you first hear about and feel called to serve in the mission of Bible translation? Well, that's a fascinating story. Um, So to shorten the first part of it, Margaret and I, before we met each other, both felt God was calling us to overseas missions work. So starting from there, um, when we got married... Um, we bought this house, the same house that we're still living in now, and um, had our first son. And so the years had started to tick by, and we thought, hey, God's called us to missions, but here we are sitting at home having children and Martin. Uh, if we don't do something, it's not going to happen unless we get up and go. It's- Nobody's going to turn up and say, we need you. So we thought, how do we find which mission mission organization we should go with? So back in the day, there was a Christian newspaper called The Challenge Weekly. So we bought a copy of The Challenge Weekly, and we went through the ads for every mission organization and wrote to everyone that was in the newspaper. And at the time, um, I was working as a software engineer, so working with computers. So I mentioned that, of course. Um, and several of the missions wrote back and said, oh, we can't imagine that our mission organisation would ever need a computer. Um, so we, we got no work for computer people, and, and basically they just read that in, in our letter, and that's all, all they saw and said no. But then the director of Wycliffe Bible Translators, which was Sam McBride down in Featherston at the time where the head office was, He wrote back and he said, isn't it wonderful to see Christian young people that want to serve God in missions? Why don't you come and stay with us for a weekend? Hmm. And so, yeah, you can see that um, we thought, here's someone with some enthusiasm. We went down and we discovered that the neat thing about being a Bible translator is you don't have to go overseas with your denominational label on your back, you know, to start a church in my little group. But actually, you can serve anybody, you know, believers, non-believers, whatever group, um, by giving them the Bible to read in their own language. So we really bought into that ministry. Mm. That's really cool. That's really cool. Yeah, so thank you to Sam McBride for some enthusiasm. So from now on, if if a young person says, "I, I think God's calling me to serve overseas, I always try to reply enthusiastically and say, isn't it great? I really appreciate that because when we um, first became involved with Wycliffe Bible Translators in New Zealand, we... um, I, I've I've always been involved as more and more of an ambassadorial type role and sharing the cause type thing through uh, my music ministry, and yeah. so whenever that first started happening, uh, there were a number of people throughout the organisation and and in different places who were kind of like, "What is this random young person?" Um, going to do for Bible translation, <laughs> <laughs> and and then uh, through through 
a, a number of the different projects we were able to do, we were able to spread the work of Bible translation um, and what Wycliffe is doing specifically um, to, I mean, thousands of people around New Zealand and share the story of Bible translation. And so um, by the time, you know, we'd been doing it for a couple of years, we started having these older people coming to us and being like, well, we didn't really know how you were going to fit, but we're really, really glad that you're talking about it amongst the next generation. And so it is really, really awesome when you have um, older people with a vision for the next generation able to mm-hmm. see a place for young people because I think, yeah, a lot of times can be a bit neglected and we would love to see so many more young people take hold of the cause of Bible translation, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and when we start as young people, we don't we don't know anything about it. We don't know what we're going to do. We don't know if we're going to be any good. We might go overseas and be a failure. We might go overseas and so you're discovering your strengths and weaknesses as you go. You don't know yeah. all of that when you start. Yeah. In fact, it's a good thing we didn't know at all how hard it would be. It's <laughs> <laughs> good thing we didn't know some of that at the start. Yeah. Well, speaking of the project that you ended up being involved in, uh, at what stage was it at when you started and what were your specific roles? And also, can you tell us the name of it? Because I've got the name right in front of me, but I'm terrified to pronounce it. (laughs) (laughs) Right. The the name of it is Matig Salug. It means the people who live by the Salug River. Cool. So um, with um, these people groups that, that often under the name Indigenous people groups, you know how they're often connected with a river or a mountain or yeah. something. In the Philippines, it was the river that was always very important. Okay. The people by the Salug River. Mm. Now, it was interesting. This is a long story. Um, so um, make your coffee. And so... A, an American translator was – so this is in the southern Philippines on the troubled island of Mindanao. And there was an American translator and his wife that were working in a related language, and they did a trip um, with some other younger people, did a rafting trip, and went into the Matiksalag region. This was um, one month before I was born. So this was in March 1957. Wow. This rafting trip. They went in and met these people. And, and because he could speak a, a, a close language, they were able to communicate. And he told them, well, we're Bible translators. We live over here in this area. We're translating the Bible into their language. And the Matixala people said, well, we would like to have the Bible in our language. Wow. And, and so he said, sure, um, we'll find someone to be assigned there. Mm-hmm. So a month before I was born, wow. as it turned out that there wasn't enough people to go and work there. So the years and the decades went by. Um, this man went back on another trip in the 1960s, I think it was, and they asked again, he said, well, if we send a translator, we don't have any yet, we'd need an airstrip because it's a very remote area. There was no roads or even very good paths. He said, we'd need an airstrip. So they, in the 1960s, they reserved the, the centre of their village to be an airstrip and they didn't build houses or plough it up for, for crops. So in the 1960s, 1970s, 1980s, and this man and his wife finished the New Testament in this other language. And then they said, well, uh, we feel so responsible. Nobody else has been able to go and fulfill that promise we made, so we'll have to go and do it ourselves. Mm. 
So in the early 1980s, they went in. And the fact that they knew a, a close language, that was an advantage that they could communicate, but it was also a bit of a disadvantage because you can easily think that this, the second language is the same as the first, but often they're not. Anyway, to try to shorten the story, um, for health reasons, they had to leave after a year or two and another team came in. And then after a year or two, the second team had to leave for health reasons, one of their children in this case. And we were in Manila studying Tagalog and other things. And um, and they, the director came to us and said, would you like to go and visit the Matiksalog area because there's an opening there? And we said, well, if we went, we'd just see people living in houses. What's the point in going? Um, we can see there's a need. Yes, we'll accept this assignment. So we became the third team wow. uh, in the project. The problem with that was the first people, the, the older couple had gone and said, we have come to learn your language and translate the New Testament into your language. It was the New Testament in those days. <clears throat> the second team replaced them and said, we have come to learn your language and translate the New Testament into your language. And they left. And then we come in and we say, we have come to learn your language and translate the New Testament into your language. And they said, yeah, right. We, we think you must be looking for buried Japanese gold or something like that. So, so we had zero credibility when we started uh, um, because we were the third team in the, the way mm -hmm. things had worked. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, so the good thing was, um, Esther, is that when the hard times came, um, which they did, um, we knew that God had clearly led us into Bible translation and then clearly led us to work with the Matixala people. If we hadn't have known that in our hearts, you know, when we used to cry sometimes at night with some of the agony of living in the village, um, you know, we would have packed up and gone home, but we knew God had sent us there, so we persevered. Wow. And how did you sort of get through that lack of credibility at the beginning? Like how did you, was it a long process to build that? Yeah, so we threw our, so or Margaret, we had three children by then. Margaret was homeschooling the children, um, so she studied the language as much as she could, but I threw myself into it. I was sometimes, because I was sort of in the peak, I guess, at whatever I was, late 20s, 30s, something like that. Um, I, I was learning up to 60 new words a day. I worked really, really hard. And, and one of the things that drove me is that in the Philippines, people, they call anybody white-skinned, they call them Americano. Yeah. So I could hear these people talking in their language and they go, blah, 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 Americano. I could pick out that word and I knew they were talking about me and I was really motivated because I wanted to know what they were saying. <laughs> so I'm going to learn this language really right. fast. So, yeah. So, yes, it did take a year or two to earn that mm. credibility. Did mm. you, was there a moment that felt like it was kind of clicking or was it more of just a very gradual thing? Uh, well, here I'll have to tell you Margaret's moment, because for me it was more gradual, but Margaret had a time. Um, so we lived in one village where we first learned the language, and when we left, I was quite reasonable in speaking it, and Margaret was pretty average. But when we moved to another village, um, circumstances had changed such that we were able to get some house helpers 
um, two girls that lived uh, in the house and worked for us. So Margaret was able to speak the language with these girls all through the day in between the homeschooling. And then a, a few years later on, we went back to the first village and we flew in in the little plane and we got out of the plane and sometimes you just sit on the airstrip for a bit to get your stomach right again. Um, but anyway, Margaret was chatting to the people and the tribal chieftain, our next door neighbour, comes out and he started laughing and laughing. We said, what are you laughing about? And he said, your wife. He said, when she left here, she spoke like a baby and now she speaks like a real person. <laughs> <laughs> Her language had improved so much. That's yeah. so and awesome. It's true. It is hard for the wives and mothers to, to get that. You know, it's easier for the whoever's in the lead role to, to spend all those hours on language learning. Depends how you divide tasks between husband and wife. But, yeah, sometimes the, the wives do get left behind. Wow. That's so interesting. Yeah. And uh, have your roles changed over the years of your involvement in the project? Uh, yeah, so... We were fortunate. So we arrived in the Philippines in the late 1980s. So now we're into the early 1990s. We spent two full-time years learning the language, and now we've started Bible translation. But we were fortunate. We were just as a, at an era when there was a lot of people starting to say, you should not go and do Bible translation for these people. You should train these people to do Bible translation for themselves. Mm -hmm. And so we had all this teaching, and I decided right at the beginning, I am not going to write down one word of this language um, to go into their Bible. So every word that's in the Matixalo Bible comes out of a Matixalo speaker's mouth. It doesn't come from my mouth. Now, some of our colleagues worked in more difficult situations where they didn't have that, and, and some of them had been there for 30 years previous, and they didn't have that way of thinking. Um, so it wasn't so much our idea or anything clever that we can take credit for, but we were just in the right place at the right time. So what happened when we flew into that village, those first two years when we are learning the language, the highest educated people had done like, or there was one lady had got through to grade five at school. Most of them had done one or two years at primary mm -hmm. school. So working with people like that, their, their understanding of, of the world and you've got Jewish culture and Roman culture and all that when you're translating the Bible, their understanding was very limited. So when in the second village, we were able to start to work with people with much more educated. And so we trained a team to translate the Bible. And I call myself a Bible translation facilitator um, mm. with respect to our work in the Philippines. Mm. And then I discovered the greatest thing ever, um, the greatest thing that you can do to to give some sort of genuine happiness. You know how it is with ice cream. You think, I love ice cream, and, and you eat lots and lots, and, and you actually feel sick. Um, <laughs> the greatest thing that, that gave me pleasure was seeing other people achieve what they could achieve. So when we saw these people and learning and doing this stuff, and, and I was so proud of them and what they could achieve, that, that was the blessing for us. Mm. Oh, that's awesome. My, my dad would call that a real father's heart. Um, the father's heart being a person who is so invested and loving of the people that they're responsible for that they not only want to see them 
achieve things but go further than they could go themselves um and i think that's exactly what you're describing about yourself which is so beautiful yeah yeah one one very short story um one time we went back for a visit this lady uh, a pastor she came up and gave me this big hug and i said oh that was nice what was that for and she said oh she said i'm playing the keyboard in church and I said, yeah. She said, don't you remember teaching me some chords and things like that? And uh. I, actually, I'd forgotten. It was a bit bad. But, so I had got her started, and then she was playing music in church, those sort of uh. things. That's that's a great blessing. Mm. Really, really mm. cool. Really cool. Yeah, I like that you um, call your role Bible translation facilitator because, yeah, it is quite true that um, there is a focus now on training the people who actually are the mother tongue speakers of this language to be able to translate it because there's so much benefit in that they understand all the nuances and how to say things naturally that we could never understand. Yeah, I think that's really cool. Yes. Mm. Um, so what's one thing that you learned about God throughout your time serving on the Matik Salog translation project? Uh, well... We, we learn as a family because we would go to church in the village, but it was all in a different, it was all in their language and in the trade language and some songs in the national language. So three other Filipino languages at church. Mm. Um, you realise, yeah, we can go to church and, and it's good, but you can't grow when your focus is on thinking, what did that sentence mean? Mm. Um, you've got to have your own relationship with God. So we invested a lot. As a family, we got in materials and things like that for the kids because our kids, we were in a very isolated part of the Philippines. We had no electricity mm. for most of the time there. Wow. Um, no roads, as I said earlier, initially. Um, so, yes, we, we learned to feed yourselves and have a good relationship with God. The hardest time, and this was when I mentioned like crying at night, the tears, because in the first village we had food that we flew in in the aeroplane, but the um, the village was actually going through a time of considerable hunger and it was really, really hard to sit in your house with enough to eat when mm. the village is hungry. But on the other hand, you knew if you started feeding, you know, 200 families, well, you'd go broke and you'd go, you'd break your, you know, you'd go mentally crazy. So somehow we had to establish that that even in all this unfairness that we see in the earth, why should I be following somebody else's hungry? Even amongst all this unfairness, that there is a God who's just and righteous. Mm. Wow. That's pretty amazing. I can't, uh, it, it makes me think of, so the first time I flew into the US, um, came into LA and we actually bought a van in LA and drove up the coast and um, we would ended up driving for three months, but in California in particular, but all, really all across the US, but really, really quite potent in California is the homeless population. And oh, yes. man, it's just, it is such a difficult thing to know how much you have and then be able to understand well I, I can't help everyone <laughs> um, and then also re like keep in mind the main purpose of why you're there um, whilst obviously doing everything you can for people but um, I, I, I really 
can understand how much how tormenting it would probably have been to have to sit there and and eat a full meal knowing what people were going through like that's just amazing um and I imagine the yeah mind-boggling as well yeah we did eventually learn two principles that really helped us the first one was don't be driven by guilt right it's it's not a positive feeling Uh, it's Mm. not a positive way to work you can't be driven by guilt but the the other one that that's more positive is we learned and this is something the filipino people taught us to work through Mm. relationship so if somebody we don't know it turned up at our door in the village and said oh my wife's dying i need money well, you could, you could feel sorry and give him money and off he goes. And you don't know if he's an alcoholic or a gambler or if his wife's close to death. Um, could be any of those. So we discovered, okay, let's find out who we know in common and let's go and, and see your wife. I'll come and see her at a house. I'll, I'll drive at a hospital or whatever. And so we we didn't just hand over money to someone we didn't know. We worked through relationship, either somebody else that we knew or we'd get to know the people that we helped. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus did say, you know, when you give a glass of water in my name and just handing over the, the water or the money, in my mind, is not always productive. I mean, there's times when it works like that, but we need to be building relationships and helping, helping people through relationships. Yeah, for sure. Well, and there's that time, I think, in the book of Acts as well, where um, someone's begging and they turn around and say, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. And there's a lot that we do have to give as well um, when we're thinking about and functioning from what we what we have rather than what we don't have. So, right. yeah, um, yeah that's powerful. Um, what made you decide to translate the Old Testament? <laughs> we didn't. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't decide to. So we went there. Um, uh, Wycliffe Bible translators are really good because they allow you two full years to learn the language. Um, other missionaries don't always have that sort of um, privilege. And then we trained a team to translate the New Testament. In between, we're doing ambulance driving and community development and training pastors and all these sort of things. So that all took um, the best part of 20 years from beginning to end. So we came home to New Zealand at that point because we had children at university. And then we went back for the dedication of the New Testament it was actually a bit more than a New Testament. I had Genesis because I think that's such an important book and a couple of others. But anyway, at the dedication of the New Testament, some of the church leaders came to us and they said, what use is a sword without its handle? Wow. Meaning that you know and we know that the New Testament is not a Bible. It's only half a Bible. Well, it's only a quarter of a Bible, actually. Yeah. <laughs> and um, So what we did, we said, well, okay, we were sort of in charge of the project doing the New Testament, and we don't want to be in charge again. So if you guys want to do the Old Testament, we will help you from New Zealand. Mm. And so 
it, um, we changed it around. It was their project, their initiation. And they were in charge of it, and we helped them with computer support and training and checking. Mm, that's awesome. And you mentioned that it took 20 years to do the New Testament, uh, and I understand that the Old Testament took 10. It's three times longer but it took half the time because they were now experienced translators and they didn't have to learn the language or anything. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's that awesome. Makes a lot of sense. That's yeah. very, very cool. Um, I love how um, throughout a lot of the things you're saying, the, um, the desire that the people had from the get-go for translation is so evident. Like even from the beginning, they uh, sought something uh, out. You're, you're wrong. No, really? Oh. Yeah. Okay, so let me fill you in a bit. We're the third team that arrive. We say, we've come to learn your language, translate the New Testament. And um, they said, yeah, right, because we're the third team. But they also said, anyway, we don't even like our language. We don't like our dark skin. We don't like our curly hair. We don't like how we talk. We don't like how we look. Everybody laughs at us and mocks us and everything. Just teach us English and then you'll be doing something good for us. Wow. So this was part of what I said before, that we were fortunate that we knew in our hearts that God had sent us there because Mm -hmm. otherwise we would have turned around and come home because we had been taught in our Wycliffe training that, you know, people love the Bible and the language of the heart, the mother tongue. And here was a group of people say, actually, we hate our own language. Mm -hmm. We hate everything about our language and culture. And that was because they were a mocked minority group. So they had lived in the forest, in the rainforest, tropical forest. The bulldozers had come through. The wealthy businessmen had bulldozed a track and sold the forest. I don't know if it went to Japan or Korea or somewhere. And these people were discovered, in quotes, um, up there. And the, the loggers said, oh, we thought only monkeys lived up here. And anyway, these people do babble like monkeys. Um, so that was how they were treated the, the Manobo people are quite different ethnically, uh, or I guess their, their ancestry is different from the lowland Filipinos. The lowland Filipinos, they'll have Spanish blood and Chinese blood, and they're very good business people in that. The, the tribal people had quite different values. They, they were darker skinned. They, instead of having the standard sort of Filipino, Chinese sort of straight hair, they had very curly hair. Wow. Um, so that uh, as the years went by, they'd go and get their hair straightened and, and all this sort of mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, so they said, no, we don't want our language. So we thought, we, we made a decision. We said, God, we know you've sent us here. We will do this. We will translate a gospel. We'll translate Luke. We will translate the beginning of the church. So we'll translate Acts. We will translate Hebrews because it talks about the blood sacrifice. So you don't need to sacrifice chickens or pigs anymore because Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. And we will translate Genesis because it's the beginning of everything. We thought we will stay long enough to translate those four books and then we'll give it to them and give it to God and we'll go home. Mm -hmm. So it was as we translated those books that they started to say, actually, we want the whole New Testament. Mm -hmm. And then as you heard later on, they said, actually, we want the whole Bible. So Mm. that was 100%, 100 um, 
360-degree turnaround, Mm -hmm. a total change. So, and they also began to value their own culture? Oh, I don't know how long we've got, but uh, another another thing we did, um, we were able to raise some funds and build a studio. So with the, um, you know, the eggshell foam, you know, that shape of foam yeah. that you, and board equipment like you've got, I can see in, in, on Zoom here, I can see your <laughs> fancy microphone and stuff like that. So we bought them recording equipment. And we did some seminars. We sponsored some seminars for the people in songwriting because they would take a song, <clears throat> excuse me, like This Is The Day or something, you know, the popular songs of the time, which were in English, and they would translate them into their language. And we said, well, actually, worship needs to come from the heart. So instead of translating, your musical style is different. Why don't you start writing songs? So that we got them writing songs and recording songs. And then, to make a long story short, but can you believe it, but in one of the squares in Davao City, so a major southern city, in one of the squares, you could go and they were playing these Matigsalo Christian songs wow. in the square of a major city. So suddenly these people that were mocked and said, oh, you're dirty and you're ignorant and you're, you know, all this and you don't look like us and you don't talk like us, and you don't live like us. Well, now they were actually being praised by the, the lowland Filipinos um, for their cultural advancement. So it was quite amazing. And that was what contributed um, to to the desiring the translation along with the literacy program. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So uh, I'll just tell you about the literacy. I, I, I won't give you the long vision, but I had to spend, I think it was several years, I had to take several years off Bible translation. Margaret led the literacy program teaching people to read. And I was I helped with the literacy program, but I I really sort of resented it because it was meant we'd have to stay longer to get these four books finished, you know, because it was keeping me away from translation. Mm-hmm. So anyway, we did the literacy program to make a long story short. It became a fairly major program. The New Zealand government, um, through the uh, ambassador in the Philippines, helped sponsor it and others. And then we were home in New Zealand on a furlough, and the Matiksalog Literacy Program won a a regional award um, as being the most outstanding literacy program in their region of the Philippines. And that was when the people said, hey, They said, everyone calls us dirty and ignorant and all that, but we could succeed on their stage and get an award for the best literacy program. Mm. So something that that I resented, um, (laughs) that that was what turned them around because God did all that in them. You know, the Bible says even beyond what you can imagine, God can do, and it wasn't because of our great faith. In fact, I resented it, as I said, but God used that literacy program to make them value their own language and culture. Uh, These stories are so epic. (laughs) 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 I'm just like, what? (laughs) I love this so much. (laughs) Yeah. It's incredible just to hear the, the journey from not valuing their own language and culture to, yeah, winning awards for things, but then having that desire to want New Testament and then the full Bible, because um, uh, some people might not know, but less than 10% of the world's languages have a complete translation of the Bible. So now the Matik Salik Bible is now one of those. So 
What do you think some of the factors were in getting this full translation complete while many other languages in the world don't have a full Bible? Yeah, um, part of it was, as I said, that we were just in the right place at the right time. So the Philippine government builds more roads. So now there's a road to that first village. Um, they establish more schools. Uh, one of the things that we did, one of the best things that we did, but we didn't know it at the time, but we saw some bright young Matiksalog students, young people, that couldn't finish high school because their parents didn't have any cash to buy a pair of shoes or a pencil mm -hmm. or a notebook or anything like that. Or they got tired of going to school day after day with no lunch and it was just too hard, so they'd drop out. So we started sponsoring some students through high school and then through what they call college. And they were later the ones that become this translation team with, with oh. our university educated, um, even one with a master's degree. Wow. And, and so we didn't have any idea when we started, you know, helping some families to send their kids to school. We didn't have any idea that it would turn around and bless the whole Bible translation project. And as I said, this whole thing about investing in other people, that um, we've still done it to this day, um, sponsored students over there, um, Matiksalog students. And it's been one of the best things we've done. So that, that was an enormous asset to us to, to have um, educated people available. The change in the, the way they valued their language and everything, that, that was amazing. But that, as I said, wasn't so much our work, but we were a part of it. Why others don't have the Old Testament, I'm not really sure. Um, one, one good thing about the Matik Salog Bible, uh, we, we struggled um, with the system because before our time, the system was that the expatriate, the Kiwi or the American or Aussie or whoever it was, would go and translate the Bible for the people. And I'm sort of a bit ashamed to say that sometimes those translations are not very good. Like if, if you learn, I don't know, Finnish or something, and then said, well, I've done two years of Finnish, now I'm going to translate the Bible for them. Well, you imagine how good the Finnish would be or, or any other language you can think of. And so we, the fact that people did it in their own words, I still to this day, when I read the Matiksala Bible, Margaret and I were just saying the other week, we said, we would never in a hundred years have thought of saying this like that. We would never have put those words together in a sentence like that. We, they made that into a verb, and we just don't do that in English. Um, so, yeah, it's so different being natural in their language. Uh, yeah. I'm sure that was a huge advantage. Wow. That's amazing. Uh, we actually released a song a few years ago, and um, we had a friend of ours who grew up in Russia uh, do a verse on it and he, while he grew up speaking Russian it wasn't his first language and so even though he's like completely fluent in everything when we got him to do the translation of the verse into Russian he actually had to have quite a bit of help to fully express how uh, what was actually being said because there were so many things where he's like well if I literally translate this it's not going to come across right to my friends um, so it's amazing how little nuances like that 
you can miss it. Well, I mean, if you just type something into Google Translate, for example, it's always so funny because, <laughs> because yeah, <laughs> when you when you get that, I actually had uh, one of my um, really good friends back home in New Zealand. One day, he he was he sent me uh, an email and he decided, oh, I might translate this into Chinese, and then she'll have a fun time like having to go through and figure out what I've said, and then he translated it back to see what had happened and he was like oh no she'll never she'll never know what I actually said <laughs> and um and so he sent me like what he intended to send and then he sent the English translation of the Chinese translation of what he said <laughs> and it was so it was probably one of the funniest things I ever received in my life but it just gave me such a potent example of the flaws and um not really knowing and breathing and living the language. So, yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> pretty amazing. No, the neuroscientists tell us that something actually physically happens to our brain around puberty where we lose the ability to learn languages the same. So learning language as an adult is plain hard work and uh, it, it would be an exception where you would become as fluent as a native speaker when you learned as an adult. Wow. That's amazing. Well, it's been such a pleasure to hear all of your stories. And we would love to share with uh, the people watching how they can support you. Well, the, the project's coming to an end. Um, we've raised the money for the printing. Now, we were a bit naive. Um, it's cost, you know, you go and look at the the page numbers in your Bible. There's a lot of pages and that's expensive yeah. paper. And yeah, um, so I think we're just trying to get the money. There was some donors in, in at least four different countries. I think we've got the money together to send it to the printers. Um, our multi-solid friends had about, it was over one foot high of paper. The pages, when, it, when the Bible was printed, um, single-sided for the final proofreading on just regular A4 paper. Yeah. You know, it was it was well over a foot high, the whole Bible. <laughs> and and that, they've just proofread that and sent it back. So it's heading for the printer now. Um, we don't need support ourselves. Um, we would just love your prayers that the just to get it through the printers mm -hmm. and uh, get distributed and to be able to hold a dedication next year. Maybe next mm -hmm. year, ask us again and we'll say, hey, if you'd like to donate for a few pigs for the dedication. Then. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that'll be awesome. I'm sure people would be excited to donate pigs. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you can't have a Filipino feast without some um, port on, uh, pork on the spit. That's awesome. <laughs> Oh, cool. Yeah. It's just been so cool hearing your story and just everything that went into translating the whole Bible. Um, now we're going to move on to a section where we pray for five nations um, each episode. Um, so I'll be praying for those today. We're praying for Andorra, Angola, Anguilla, Antigua and Barbuda and Argentina. So let's pray for those now. Um, dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this time that we've had to come together and just share and um, listen to Robert and Margaret's experiences over in the Philippines and translating the Matig Salud Bible. I just thank you so much for the work that's gone into that. And I just pray um, right now that this printing would um, happen and that the dedication would happen next year so that your word would be out in the community and people would be engaging with you. Um, and right now I just lift up these five nations to you. I just ask for all the um, people in these countries who don't know you. I just ask that um, 
they would come to know you, you'd provide the opportunities for um, those who are your children to go out and share about you with them. I pray that you would open doors for that. Lord, I ask for the um, people in these countries who don't um, have a Bible in their language. I ask that you prepare their hearts for your word. And I ask that you prepare the people to um, go and train people to make that a reality, Lord. Um, and I just ask your blessing over each of these five countries and every area um, of the functionings, Lord God, that um, your your word and your um, truth will be present um, in each of these countries. Lord, I pray this in your name. Amen. 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 Well, thanks again for being with us, Robert, and thank you guys at home or wherever you are watching for for being with us today. Uh, It's such a privilege to get to share with you how Bible translation brings hope to the people groups of the world. And so we would love if you would like and share and comment and subscribe to the podcast wherever you're watching, YouTube or um, Apple or Spotify, wherever it's at, please do those things. It really, really helps us yeah. and um, spread the word. I was just sharing before we started recording that uh, this week I was in a random town in uh, about an hour and a half away from uh, Nashville, which is where I live. And uh, I was happened to be talking to my friends about the podcast and a girl in front of me at the, at the store heard me talking about the podcast and decided to listen. And she came over to me later um while we were drinking coffee and she told me that she'd subscri- she had subscribed so okay. um it's really really cool for us whenever we see or hear stories like that so please keep up the good work and share it abroad and we'll see you next time bye guys bye.